Amen. Before we get started with the message, I just want to go over a couple of things. Our three keys, our three keys for 2019. I just want to bring them up before us every once in a while. Matthew, if you could put it up there. Who remembers key number one as to what? Faithfulness to prayer. Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer. Faithfulness to prayer. Second thing is unity in his body. Remember, and we're not, we're, we're talking about this church, but we're talking about his whole body. Uh, uh, that, can I tell you something? If God's people would all begin to do the first point, pray. That's what he tells them. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. You hear me? Amen. Do you believe that? Listen, I'm, I'm already sometimes seeing things changing for the better. For a while, it seemed like nothing was, it was totally falling apart in this country, but I'm starting to see things turn to the better. I believe God's beginning to move in this country. And then the last thing is, is that we need to be faithful to his house, faithful to God's house. Jesus went out, as was his custom, to the house of God. Jesus ministered three places. He ministered in the house of God. And or should we, was he our example? Yes. He ministered in the house of God. He went to the temple. He met in private homes. He ministered in that, and he ministered in large gatherings. Those are three places. And we have to make sure that as a Christian, we're doing those three things and being that, you know what, we're going to be faithful to the house of God, just like Jesus was. We're going to be faithful in praying in homes and doing things like that. We're going to be faithful when we're out in public. Because that's, listen, if you got a Jesus bumper sticker on, don't be telling everybody they're number one on the highway. You know what I'm saying? They get mad, they pump their horn, and you say, number one. We have to be examples. Then the last, second thing I want to do is our confession of faith. And if you would, I want you just to stand up with me right now and just say this with me. It's a, there we go. Come on, stand up. Here we go. How many of you know Wednesday night I've done a teaching, the power of your words? The tongue has the power to speak life or death. What your tongue confesses is the fruit that you eat. Yeah, notice this. Notice if, if you're around a negative person, everything in their life is negative. But that's what they're speaking. You be, you're around a positive person and good things are happening. Notice what they're saying. They're speaking positive. So say, today, I will be the person God created me to be. In Christ, I am a victor and not a victim. I am more than a conqueror. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <coughs> Amen. You can be seated. That is in your bulletin. Take your bulletin home with you. Um, we don't print the bulletins just for you to bring home to make jets, you know, paper planes. So bring that home, put that on your refrigerator, and you need to say, confess that every day. Amen. 
So let's uh, open our Bibles, to, uh, or you could look on your paper. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Again, that last song is where this message kind of started coming about God dealing with me with some things about this message that I'm going to share with you today. 2 Timothy 4, 7. Paul's coming toward the end of his life, and he mentions his life. Now, how many of you have been through a struggle in this life? How many of you have been through more than one struggle? Right? Reality is, <laughs> we're coming out of trouble, getting ready to go into trouble, or we're in the middle of it in this life. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Amen? But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Jesus says, he had, take heart, I have overcome the world. And through him we can overcome the world. Now notice, so notice what Paul says here. He says, I have fought the good fight. Anybody in here ever been in a fight? Yeah. So is he telling you life was just grand? That it was so easy, he was kicked back on, the, uh, on one of those islands over there with a coconut, with a straw in it and a little umbrella. And life was just grand. He says, no, I have fought the good fight. What happens in a fight? Sometimes you get hit. Right? Have, have you ever watched some fights that go for a long time? At the end, the, the guys barely could stand up. Both of them, even the one that was victorious, barely could stand because it takes a lot out of you. In this world, this life, so many situations happen in this world that it, it'll suck the life right out of you if you're not careful. And Paul says, I have fought the good fight. Then he says, I have finished the race. Anybody ever ran for a long distance and you, <laughs> you know, the side starts hurting, you're out of breath, things Notice how he's equating his life. It's a fight. It's a race. It's, again, he says, but he says, I have finished, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And he says, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. You see, it's not how you start, but how you finish. You hear me? It's not how you start, but how you finish. A fighter could come out and start wailing away, but then three minutes into the fight, he's out of breath and can't go no more and gets knocked out. A sprinter, uh, somebody in a race, uh, uh, you see that sometimes in the Olympics. I don't watch track and field much, but sometimes you'll see that, that on those long races that people come out and, boy, they take off and, boy, this guy's going to kill everybody. He's way ahead of them. But then halfway through the race, he's just as far behind everybody as he was ahead of them because he started off in a sprint, and life isn't a sprint. Life's a long race. That's why Paul says, I have finished the race. And what I want to share with you for a second here while, while we're on this scripture is, have you ever heard a statement that somebody, you know, oh, this person is on fire for God? 
You've heard that before. Oh, a person is on fire for God. Oh, they're on fire for God. The reality is, with fire, with fire, on fire for God, with being on fire for God is, and what a lot of people equate fire for God are two totally different things. A lot of times when someone is excited about God, they're all there on fire for God. But excited is emotion. One of the parable of the seeds planted in the ground, it says they received it with joy. Okay, emotionally. All excited. Brother Allen mentioned that, he was, that uh, his first sermon, he thought it might be a popcorn sermon, that he would stand up and turn white and pop and it'd be over. You see, with excitement, let me put it this way. Anybody ever made a bonfire in your yard, maybe some logs and things? Have you ever noticed that you, you squirt it all with gas, and you light that match, and boom, boy, the flames are gone, and you, boy, we got a fire. Five minutes later, you come back, and it's out. You see, those flames are excitement, or with excitement, being excited about. But reality is, when, the, when the, the logs truly catch on fire, you can't put them out. When, and I'll use this terminology, dealing with a log. God is a what kind of God? A consuming fire. A consuming fire. When people are just excited about the Lord, the flames go up, but in not long, they could be back in the world. See, a consuming fire is going to consume that log, and it's not going to go out until you come back the next morning, and there's nothing left of that log, because our God is a consuming fire. And Jesus says, take the what? Log out of your eye. You see, that log it needs to be put in the fire. When you truly meet the Lord, He's a consuming fire and everything in you is going to go. That's how you know a person is on fire for God. Not that they're excited and shouting, and there's nothing wrong with being excited and shouting. But in six months, where are you? Are you like that sprinter that took off and, woo, I'm on fire for God. But then halfway through the race, they're puking. Ugh, I can't go no more. Our God is a consuming fire. And when you get on fire for God, you can't put it out. And when you're on fire for God, all of you, all the logs in your eye, all the logs, all the things of you will be consumed by him till there's nothing left but him. So I have fought the fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. So I want to move to Matthew chapter 4, <coughs> verse 18 through 20, because I want to use this, uh, I like the way it's worded here, and then we're going to read from Luke chapter 5. It is actually the, the same 
thing that happened is the calling of the first disciples. Matthew just gives us a brief overview of it where Luke goes into more detail. And I want you to understand that these uh, calling of the first disciples, he's calling them to be a disciple because they're not a disciple yet. In other words, Jesus is going fishing for fishermen to make them fishers of men. Okay? This is what it's about. Peter and Andrew is at, at, at the lake, uh, uh, and uh, their friends too. And so we see that Jesus is going to make disciples. In other words, he's going to find fishers. He's going fishing among the fishermen to make them fishers of men. But we're going to see what, what happens in their lives. So it says this, as, as they were walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Again, Luke's going to give us much more detail in, into what actually happened here. And this is kind of at the end of what we're going to read in uh, Luke. Verse 19, Jesus tells them after, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And it says, At once they left their nets and followed him. In other words, again, talking about consume, that once they left their nets, at once they left everything behind that was in their life to follow him. But Jesus says, come follow me. Now we're going to see he, in a few minutes, he done a miracle between them, working in them. But he said, come follow me. Why did he want them to follow him? Did, did they, he want them to follow him so he's walking and he's stopping, they bump into him. Oh, oh, wait, hey, that's a little too close. But come on, just to follow him. Or was there a purpose of them following him? Notice what it says, come follow me. And he said, the purpose is that I will send you out to fish for people. Or I will, the uh, NIV version you have on your paper says, that I will make you fishers of men. In other words, I'm calling you to follow me, but not just to follow me, because I want you to be changed and become a fisher of people, a fisher of men, and not just a fisherman. <clears throat> How many of you have accepted the Lord in here? Raise your hand. Do you know you're a fisher of men? You are a missionary in disguise. Kathy, when next time you go to sell a policy, I need you to play that Mission Impossible music on your radio. Okay, when you're getting ready to go and dun, 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 dun. Because you are a missionary disguised as an FLAC agent to bring light into that person's life. You hear me? Tim, when you walk in the Chevron office, you are a missionary disguised as a Chevron employee to bring the light of the gospel to those people. You were called to follow, not just to follow, but to make other follows. You were called to make fishers of men. So let, let's, let, let's quickly go on from here. What I want you to see, <coughs> excuse me, we're gonna, I'm going to read quickly Luke chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. The, it's on your papers as I got it broken down into three points. And I did put three points today because Darren Verdon had been telling me, Brother Scott, since we got these new, that new program, your uh, messages have been pointless. So I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and put some points in there. So, <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. I'm going to try not to stop uh, too often. Um, 
and then we'll break it out. So this is the same, same time that's going on. Matthew's uh, shrunken down, not too detailed version versus Luke's more detailed uh, version. So Luke chapter 5, verse 1 says this. One day as Jesus was standing uh, by the lake of, of the Gerasset, which is the Sea of Galilee, with people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of their boats, and uh, the one belonging to Simon, he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the, uh, the people from, from the boat. Now remember, they were, not a, uh, they were not believers yet. He was calling them. And Simon and all were fishing. They were finished fishing. They were washing their nets. They weren't in their boats, notice, but they were near their boats on the shore cleaning up. So you have to understand that Jesus was there speaking to the people about the Word of God. So Simon and Andrew were hearing what he was saying. Okay? So we understand he was hearing what they were saying. And then he gets in Peter's boat, at Simon's boat, and he says, pull out from the shore. Now, why would he say that? Anybody that ever been on the water, do you notice that this was the old days PA system? See, we got a PA system so you could hear me. If I turn this off, you'll have trouble hearing me. So thinking about being outside and trying to speak to a group of several hundred people, a thousand people, you'd have to really speak up. People would have to really be quiet. And again, in those days, you had animals all around making all their noise and things. So he says, well, you know what? This crowd's getting so big, they're having trouble hearing me. I'm going to get in a boat. We're going to pull off from the shore. And when we're over the water part, it amplifies the volume. So, so that's just a little history of, of what was going on there. Then, uh, what verse am I on? Uh, verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out a little deeper uh, in the Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down our nets. Anybody ever been fishing and haven't caught anything? Kathy, Doug's a, a, a troller. You, you, you spend all this money fueling up the boat and you go out and you come back and you got, your bills are more than you caught. You know, but it says they haven't caught anything. He says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When, when they had done so, they cut, caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. In other words, they started catching an overflow. They went from nothing to an overflow. So they signaled their partners, hey, padna, in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled up both boats so full that they began to sink. Now remember, they were out all night before and caught nothing. But all of a sudden, Jesus gets in the boat. And he catches enough fish to sink both boats. Me and Brother Arling tell fish stories, but that's a hard one to beat. <laughs> right? Can I tell you a secret? When a fisherman tells you the fish was that big, it really was like that. But <laughs> I always say, have you ever had a fisherman tell you the story about the little one that got away? 
It's always the big one that gets away, right? So verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees when he seen the miracle. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Remember, this was a non but he, had, he hadn't been a follower of Jesus. He heard Jesus speaking on the beach. And all of a sudden he says, Lord, I am a sinful man. And for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. They were in the guys in the other boats. It said they had two boats. And, you know, back then you didn't have radios. You didn't have this. So a lot of times they went out in pairs of boats in case one of them got into trouble. The other one was there to help them. Even today they do that, even with all the technology they have. It says, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled up their boats to shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, this miracle is probably the second miracle that Jesus ever done. He had the miracle at the wedding where he turned the water into wine. And this is probably the second recorded miracle he's ever done. And... I want to look, you to look at how did they go from zero to overflow. They were fishing the night before. This is their job. They're, they're, they know what they're doing. It's not that they were in training. This is how they made their living. They were professional fishermen. They went out all night, it said, and caught zero, a skunk, nothing. But yet, a couple of hours later, let me back up a second. I noticed that they went out all night. Now, if, if you know any trollers and things, they know when to troll at night. They know when you troll at, during the day. So, what, thinking about this, Simon and, and all them were fishing at night because that's probably what the moon phase was. The fish are going to bite at night, not during the day. Because I'd rather work in the day than working at, at night through the night, right? It's easier working during the day. They didn't have lights back then. You know, so it's not like they had all these lights on their boat. They'd be working just by the moonlight. There. They quit washing the nets. They quit doing what they were doing. You know, when, when you come home from fishing, you just want to clean up and get back inside, right? They quit everything they were doing, and he sat there to listen to Jesus speaking again. Again, what was the only difference of the zero to overflow? Was Jesus got into their boat. Jesus got into their life. They allowed Jesus into. Okay? You have to allow God to work in your life. I'm watching the time. But i got to add this part. You see... Just because you're called and answered the call doesn't mean you're going to finish the race. Anybody ever heard of somebody called Judas? He was called, answered the call, but he didn't finish the race. You know why? Because he didn't let God consume his worldly greed out of his life. 
that was still a log in the fire. He did not allow God access to every area of his life. He didn't allow God all up in his business. He says, yeah, there, but on this, my money part here, I don't want you in this area. I still want to be in control of this. I'm not letting this go. I'm holding on to something in my life. That God says, you give me all of you or none of you. Because God is a consuming fire. And when you give him all, he'll take all that trash and burn it away. Till there's nothing left but him. So we need Jesus to get all up in our business. In every aspect of our life. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're fishing for. Let's put it that way today. Whatever you're going on in your life. Whatever trial you may be going through, whatever thing you're facing in life right now, you have to get Jesus involved in it. You have to give him access to that area of your life. You cannot stay in control. You have to surrender to him. You have to invite him and let him get all up in your business. The second thing is we have to realize and admit, I can't do it on my own. You have to realize and admit you can't do it on your own. Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Realize and admit I can't do it on my own. Starting in verse 4. Again, they pulled away and they, they listened to everything. And in verses 4 and 5, we're going to have our, our two points here, uh, points 2 and 3. It says, when he had finished speaking, once Jesus had finished speaking, they had pulled away from the shore, he said to Simon, put out into deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. But notice what Simon said, and I, and I want you to catch this right here. Circle that word, master. Do you notice... Something's changed. Remember, he's not a disciple or a follower. Jesus is going, Jesus is still fishing among the fishermen to make fishers of men. But yet, all of a sudden, Simon has been listening to Jesus speak. He allows him to get in his boat. And all of a sudden, instead of calling him teacher or whoever, he knew something was different about Jesus. And he calls him master, which translates commander. And if in a nautical theme, it means captain. Who's in charge of the ship? The captain. And all of a sudden, he says, captain. In other words, you're in charge. I'm surrendering my boat to you. It, 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 my, lively, my whole life is in surrender to you. You are the captain, captain of my ship. Simon answered, Master, and then he tells him, we've worked hard all night. It's not like we just went try. He says, we've worked hard all night, uh, skinned some knuckles, everything. He says, and haven't caught a thing. Many of you have been trying to do things on your own. And you're coming up empty. 
The first word in that song is, Lord, I've come to my end. I realize I need you. I've been trying to make it through this world. I've been dealing with this situation. I've been doing this, and I've been doing it on my own. I need you up in my business. We've done it all. I need to admit that I can't do it by myself. And then he says, but because you say so, we'll let down our nets. Notice the third point. The third point is be obedient to his word. I need to be obedient to his word. The Bible is clear where it says don't be hearers only and deceive yourself, but be doers of his word. So at this time, I want the worship team to start making their way back up right now. reason I'm asking them to come up this early is because as we finish this last point, I don't want any distractions. Can I tell you, so, so many little things could distract you. Somebody moves over there, guess what? You turn your head. So they're coming up and getting ready right now. Brother Darren, if you just dim the lights a little bit. As we go through these points, I don't know if you're going to be able to see your paper. Hopefully you can. But it'll be on CD, it'll be on Facebook. I really want you to pay attention to what I'm getting ready to say. The third point is I need to learn to be obedient to his word. Number one is I need to get Jesus all up in my business, every area of my life. I need to realize that there's things in this world that I can't just do. I try as hard as I can, but the things are bigger than me. And the third thing is being obedient to his word. Now let's go back to verse 4. It says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And that's where Simon answered, Master, again, he's already surrendered. Calling him captain of the ship. We have worked hard all night. Notice he, he, said, he didn't say you were with us because you weren't. We have worked all night and caught nothing. Now I want to share with you that they worked all night and got zero. Ten minutes with Jesus got them over from. Same lake, same water in the lake, same boats, same nets. Worst time of day for fishing. But somehow, God calls the fish to fill their nets. But he didn't cause them just to fill their nets. It was to overflow. That they had to call, that not only their boat, but they had to call their padnas and bring them over. And their overflow overflowed in their boat. As we were talking earlier about worshiping, where we praise God so others see. See, what happens in my life affects everyone around me. 
what, what takes place in my life affects those around me. So we have to understand being obedient to his word. There's things that happened here. I, I love, I love th this. Uh, go to verse 5. Uh, Luke chapter f uh, 5, verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught a thing. These next words, but because you say so. It doesn't make sense to us why we're going to put these nets in the water. We just hit the, uh, on my iPhone app, I just done the hot, spot, hot times of fishing for today. That was last night. But he says, but because you say so. Anybody ever remember somebody in the New Testament called Mary? She gave birth to some guy that was real popular. Oh, Jesus. An angel appeared to her and said, you will be with child. And she said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel goes on to say things, and Mary's response was, but because you say so. We need to become a but because you say so type of follower. But because you say so, we will let down our nets. And if you go back to verse 4 right now, Matthew, notice what he told them. When they had finished speaking, when he had finished speaking, circle that word when on your paper. We need to know that we have to learn to move in God's timing. Not our time. We want God to move now. We want a Burger King God. I want it my way and I want it now. You see, it was all, not until Jesus finished speaking, when he had finished, Jesus said, put out into deep water. If they, were, he, they would have started pulling out before he finished, they would have called another zilch because they would have been trying to do it again in their timing and their power. But Jesus says, now is the time. Now is the time. And I want you to understand that God has set times to meet people and do things. When the Holy Spirit fell among the 120 believers, were they the only believers? No, there was thousands of believers. But Jesus had told them to wait for me, and only those who were in the set place for that set moment received the Holy Spirit that day. Now, they've received the Holy Spirit later on in things, but only that day, those who were in position to where God was moving, we're able to receive. Brother Jerry mentioned last week, and we're, we're kind of what we've been talking about this altar being this year. God had spoke to me that this was going to be a place of healing. That when the troubled waters move, and, and when you go back to the original thing, it's when once in a while that the waters would stir in that pool, and whoever got in there first would be healed. 
Do you see? Does it mean God can't heal everybody? Sure. But he was saying, whoever's here, at the moment I decide, will be healed. Whoever's in that upper room, at the time I decide to move, will be healed. When? And then he says, put out into deep water. Do you see he's calling them out of their safety zone? Out of their comfort zone? To take a step of faith. There's too many shallow water Christians. That, oh, well, if the boat starts to sink, I know I'm, I'm safe here. I can still touch bottom. It's not calling me out into the deep. It's not causing me to stretch my faith, to stretch my belief, to trust Him. Can I tell you something? The biggest schools of fish are found in the deep. The overflowing schools of fish are found in the deep. Sure, you may every once in a while near shore catch one or two, but that ain't where they're schooling. He calls them out of their comfort zone, out of their safety, into the deep. And then he tells them what to do. Let down your nets for a catch. Let down your nets for a catch. And that's when he tells them, but because you say so. Everything in this world is going totally against what you're telling us to do. But because you say so, we're going to do it. I want you just to bow your head for a second. I don't want people looking around right now. What has God already spoken to you to do that maybe you're not doing? Maybe you've already started doing it and then you decided not to. But you know at one point in your life, God was speaking to you to do something. Maybe it's water baptism. We got water baptism coming up this week. Maybe God spoke to you about getting water baptized. And then you begin to reason your way out of it. Maybe God's spoken to you to get involved in church, to serve in some ministry. But then over time, you reason yourself out of it. Maybe if God's spoken to you to join the church and you've reasoned your way out of it. Maybe God has uh, spoken to you and stirred in your heart to begin tithing. And maybe you've done it in the past before and you've slowly reasoned your way out. Maybe God is telling you to forgive someone. You see, God wants you better, not bitter. Maybe God's been telling you that you need to learn to forgive yourself. I don't know what it is that God has already spoken to you about. But we need to say, God, it doesn't make sense, but because you said so. You see, this is what's going to move your life in that area from being zero to overflow. 
is allowing him into every area of your life. Surrendering to him. Maybe God has been dealing with you even in worship, even from your pew, to lift your hand, and you've never been able to. And the reason I'm, I'm sharing this is because I remember when I first came here. I wasn't raised in an environment where your hands were raised in church. And my knuckles used to turn white as I would grab onto that pew in front of me and hold on. And everything inside of me was saying, raise your hands, and I just couldn't whether it be too embarrassing or things, and then you, before you, you know, it started with, well, just barely raise your hands up. Maybe God's been dealing with you with that and you haven't done that yet. I believe there's many in here that God's been dealing with you when we call to the front. That you want to come up here, but you reason your way out. You say, oh, well, if God moves there, he could touch me back here. Yes, he can. He could touch you anywhere, but when he calls a specific time and a specific place, you have to be there. So I don't know what you're going through, but if we learn to be obedient to him, let him in our boat, take over our life, have him captain of our ship, and do what he tells us to do, when he tells us to do it and what he tells us to do it to do and where that's when it's going to change Pastor Island, Sister Jeanette Jerry and Matilda if you'd come up here with us as we're going to be calling people to the front anointing you with all and praying with you I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of this as they're coming up here. Let's go back to verse 4 again. When he had, Jesus had finished speaking, time, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. That's what God's speaking to us today. Get into the deep waters. Put in, down your nets and you will receive what he has. Because you say so, Lord, we will let down our nets. Then verse 6 says, when they had done so. Think of those words. When they had done what he said for them to do. You see, if they never would have let down their nets, they never would have had the overflow catch. He says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. God says, I'll throw open the windows of heaven. And you have such a blessing that you can't contain it. Go to verse 7, Matt. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they began to fill the boat so much that they began to sink. 
Verse 8 says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions, not just him, but all that had seen the work and heard the words of, of Jesus were astonished at the catch. And so James, so were James and Johnson of Zebedee. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled up their boats on shore and left everything and followed him. How many of you know that from that moment on, their lives were never the same again. They said, Jesus, you're captain of everything. Every part of it. So if you'd like us to agree with you in prayer, just anoint you in prayer as we're going to be worshiping. We want you to come to the front right now. I believe God's moving right here today, right now. Get out your seats. Let's worship. Him.